Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. I'm a little frazzled because I was just on an Amtrak train uh, that was an hour and a half delayed because the tracks caught fire, which is not ideal. So I would not recommend that. Yes, yes. To take a train where the tracks are on fire. Yeah, no, if the if the train itself is on fire, like it's got fire coming out the back and blasting it forward. Like, that's cool. That's good. Yeah, you want that's, that. That's then. That's how you know it's going fast. Is if the tr- if the fire is coming out of the back of the train, but if the fire is in the front of the train, it means you're going to have an hour and a half delay at least. Yeah, yeah. So we've had a we've had a an eventful week in because we've been recommended by both the New Yorker and the New York Times. That's right. And we're recording this almost a full day late for entirely unrelated reasons because Ryan's tr- train caught fire and I got stuck in a basement at a dinner that I couldn't get out of which is you know what happens when you're, you're like a big a big podcast you just everything goes to hell apparently because things catch on fire let's go to the theme song and then after I'll explain all of the crazy things that just came out of your mouth hold on <laughs> Welcome to the Content Minds. This week we are unfortunately finally going to be talking about the Depp versus Heard defamation trial, the insane internet fandom that has sprung up around Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Uh, obviously, the Johnny Depp side is much bigger and louder and more toxic, but it, it, it's a whole internet movement. We're going to try to unpack it and explain why it's happening, what it means, and, and go down that whole nasty little rabbit hole. But before we get there, I want to thank the nice people over at The New Yorker. And the nice people over at the New York Times, a little quiet on the New York Daily News and the New York Post. Interesting that those papers have not written about us yet. But the New Yorker and the New York Times did write about us. New York Mag, obviously, we're waiting to see what happens next. They have an entire newsletter dedicated to podcasts that we've never been on. That is... We've never been mentioned. See, I mean, it was very weird because this happened literally, like, I don't know, eight hours apart, which made me think something happened. Like we went out in a newsletter somewhere and then a bunch of people who got their content from there aggregated it from somewhere else. I think there's a, there has to be an origin somewhere. So I'm not sure what the timeline is like because I obviously have a Google alert for my name sure, and I don't check it all the time, but I happened to check it and I was like, oh, that's the New Yorker talking about us. That's weird. And that was three days ago. And then the New York Times one happened yesterday so this week everyone's ta- everyone in new york's talking about us that's the that's the truth we're, we're the talk of the town we're the new dime square wait are we literally talk of the town is that the new is the new yorker talk of the town oh wait i think that is the segment oh, no, isn't it's, it? it's, go- it's goings on about town oh well we are we are the goings on about town right now in new york so i think you have i think you have to go up a stage to get to like talk of the town so i want to say if you're listening to us for the first time because of two new york-based publications Thank you for checking us out. Hopefully we won't let you down. But unfortunately, longtime listeners know our episodes do open with like quite a lot of bullshit. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I wanted to clear up, uh, yes, we are recording this on a Wednesday. Typically we record this on Tuesdays. Uh, and that is because Luke got stuck in a dinner that went late on Tuesday. And then we are doing this late on Wednesday, later than normal, because I, as I said at the top of the show, was stuck in a train that was on tracks that were on fire. So... We're coming into this with a weird energy, but we're just going to get through it. Speaking of trains, <sighs> Luke, your city has a new train. Is that right? It has a new train. It has a train that has been in the planning for 139 years, and it's finally happened. Wait, is that true? 139 years? Yeah, so the first bit of it, which was uh, Docklands to something, uh, Mid-Canary Wharf, but it was, no, I can't Mid-Canary Wharf, but basically the first bit of it, when it passed Parliament, it was 139 years ago, and be like, hey, we should have a train between these two spots. And they finally built it. So we're talking about the Elizabeth Line. The Elizabeth Line? No, is that it's what it's the called, Elizabeth right? Line Line. What? So you know how it's called like the Jubilee Line and the uh, Northern Line and the Central Line? And on all the signs, it just says Jubilee, Northern, Central. Yes. For some reason, on this one, they've called it the Elizabeth Line on the sign. So it goes Jubilee, Central, Northern, Elizabeth Line. Well, I guess it would be weird if it was just Elizabeth. We have Victoria. 
Oh, right. You do have Victoria. Yeah. So they, so clearly its true name must be Elizabeth Line Line. Are they going to update the other ones to be the Northern Line Line? No. Because the, that's just the Northern Line, whereas the Elizabeth Line Line is the Elizabeth Line Line. But then you also have the Overground, which is not a line. It's the technically, it's the, technically, it's the East London Line. Is that true? Is the Overground called the... Well, bits, bits of it are the East London Line. Like when they first did it, it was the East okay, London Line. Okay, so... so you have a new tube line, a new subway line, the Elizabeth Line line. It's yeah. Purple or violet? It's like royal, it's like royal purple. Is that what it is? Its primary color is purple. I got it on Tuesday morning, which was the first time that it opened. And it actually is on my way to work. So I was taking it as a commute. Not, not a, to be like a weird train guy. No, but there were a lot of weird train guys. And had I not been like adjacent to a weird train guy, I probably wouldn't have bothered. But I did because it seemed fun. I have a question. Yeah. Because I realize I've never been on a brand new subway line in, in its entirety before. What does it smell like? Like a new car. Does it really smell like a new car? Exactly. Uncannily. That's fascinating. Like I got on, I was like, that is weird. There's a lot of that... there's a lot of weird stuff about it. Uh, What's weird that, about it? There's the fact that all of the train nerds getting on were wearing purple or like TFL merch. Okay, that's weird. It's pretty weird. Uh, all of the seats are clean, which is very odd. That is very odd for for you guys because you have cloth seats. We do. Which in certain older uh, subway lines in London, it's like being in a funeral parlor. It's it's really gross. Yeah, but no, they're they're they're, they're new and clean and have a it, their own particular markings on them. Was it a hot subway car? Okay, no, because a it's big. It's like it's bigger than an it's bigger than an overground train. Like the actual carriages. Are like widthwise and height. Overground trains are typically bigger than the underground trains. Just to give uh, some context. I mean, all the trains are slightly different sizes. Like the Central right. Line train is smaller than a, a like a, a Victoria Line train, which is it, it's they're all different sizes. But this is okay. a, this is a big one. But also the trains are very long. They're like nine carriages long. So they're I mean, like the average tube train is like four or five. So it's they're incredibly long, and they are not hot. And the reason I assume they're not hot is because if anyone knows the thing about the, the the tube why it's hot it's because they cannot get the heat out because the soil under london is very clay so the heat that comes out of the heat that comes out of the tube just goes into the soil initially when they first advertised when the tube first happened in like the 1880s 1890s they used to advertise it as a way to stay cool because you just went down into a nice cool clay soil but right. over the centuries the, the body heat and the train heat and all of the stuff has this just stays in the soil so now they can't effectively cool the tube because the soil around it is too warm. Whereas this was cool. I don't know if it's going to last. I'm really curious to see if in like a year or two years time, it's just a hot train again. But at the moment, it's cool. That is interesting. One of the, the weirder things about the subway in London is that you guys open all of the windows to the various cars to try to create some kind of fucked up wind tunnel. But because of the black dust, which we've talked about in previous episodes, sure, sure. Your, your city is just full of black dust you get this like black dust that just goes through the entirety of the subway from from top to bottom. And to be fair, the windows were very effective at keeping it ventilated during COVID. That's good. Uh, that No, that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, we didn't have that in our cities here. <laughs> Speaking of... No, I have no transition here. Hey, Luke, <laughs> how was crypto this week? Please, please, please don't buy an NFT. Please, please, please don't buy an NFT. Crypto feels like it's 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 bottomed out now. Like it feels like we've hit a a leveling off point. Yeah. But as a result, it means we've kind of turned back to the batshit bits, which I think is really fun. Yeah, I find these moments more fun than the pumps because the pumps, everyone's like, everyone's making money. No one's really thinking twice about like how stupid their thing is. But right now we've got some distance to be able to say something like, oh, wow. The monkeypox emu coin dropped ninety nine percent after it was rug pulled for four hundred million dollars in a scam, <laughs> which is a thing that happened this week. I, I can't believe that someone did it. <laughs> Leaving aside the kind of humanitarian moral issues of doing a monkeypox coin, I can't believe anyone bought it. Like it's so, such a yeah. I will not name them or put them on blast, but I do, and they're also not my dad. But I do know somebody. <laughs> who has bought meme coins before. And I do sort of understand the psychology of it. I don't think it's a good idea. Once again, this is not financial advice. I am just merely trying to explain the thought process of a de like a total degenerate who's going to buy a meme coin. And basically the idea 
is to buy a lot of it, hoping that it becomes like a trending topic and then cash in as it's trending. Right. So, you, yeah, you buy, you know, you put a thousand bucks in or a hundred bucks in and you're hoping it goes up by like a thousand times because suddenly everyone's buying it rather than it right. doing what it's probably going to do, which is go up by 1.2x and then somehow you someone makes $400 million. Well, the problem also is that a lot of these meme coins, they're not old enough, mature enough. They haven't been around long enough to get on any major exchanges. So like you have to find a place to buy and sell it. So half of the battle is when these things start spiking, actually finding a way to turn it back into money. Interesting. Uh, I do not know what the deal was with monkeypox emu. I have not looked into it personally because I feel like we can all kind of agree that this was a bad idea and there's no sane world in which they were able to raise the $400 million that they ran away with, but I did see uh, one... Uh, 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 sorry, I've got some explanation here. It's a relatively new BEP20 token, and it was available on PancakeSwap. Oh, wow. I actually know what that means. Uh, so oh. PancakeSwap, we've talked about these before on the show. Uh, Pan <laughs> PancakeSwap is one of those like uh, decentralized marketplaces that also gives you like high-yield interest if you turn your crypto into a token that can then be used to loan out stuff. So like the idea is like you would you take your Ethereum, swap it into a token. Hopefully that token would gain interest that would cover the amount that you would lose if Ethereum went up. Get the idea? Yeah, gotcha, so gotcha, gotcha. Monkeypox Enu, I guess, appeared on there. Uh, I did see one tweet from, uh, I don't, uh, you know, I'm going to do a caveat here and say, I hope this is not real. I hope this is a troll. <laughs> God, do I hope this is a troll? But a Twitter user named Barry B Club tweeted, I just lost $107,000 on this. My wife and I, our entire life savings is gone. I'm currently sobbing, waiting for her to come home. I quit everything from Monkeypox Enu. My hobbies, friends, old job, all gone. Now so is my money. I have no idea what to do, and I'm unsure what to tell her. All right. So I will also say that I think this is a... Oh, it's copypasta. Oh, thank God. Yeah, it's copypasta. Oh, thank God. It has been, it has been raised that it did not have the scale to have 400 million, and it was it's probably not an accurate number. Uh, like some crypto devs have raised it. Um, the FT also pointed out that the coin had 90 subscribers on its Telegram channel. Oh, well. Which is you know, low. If each one of those chipped in... Two million dollars? No, twenty million dollars. Twenty million. I yeah, I think I think I suspect I suspect what's happened here is it was like forty k or four hundred k, and it's been someone's fucked up on it. But I, it doesn't seem. I don't think that's right. Basically, I will say that a lot of places like Pancake Swap are very popular to be pumped on YouTube. So there's like a lot of YouTubers who do videos explaining how to use like things like pancake swap because they're very complicated which means you can easily fill up 15 minutes of a youtube video explaining how to do it right right and i've noticed a lot of swap exchanges are very popular on crypto youtube that makes sense yeah okay so this is this is i mean the thing is right is crypto scammers crypto grifters crypto Advocates, whatever you want to call them, one of those three, they're all, all as accurate as each other. Uh, it's in their interest to obviously pump the, the stock and like that's how they get followers, that's how they get money, that's how they get their investments up and stuff. But the crypto skeptics also do the same thing. Like it's not like they're doing it out for the good of their own like heart. They are also making a bunch of getting subscribers, getting followers, getting retweets from saying, hey, this is a scam, this is a scam, this is a scam. And just because one of them happens to be right and one of them happens to be wrong doesn't mean that that behavior is not incentivized in the same way. Uh, you're saying there's no there's no ethical content creation within the the internet, I guess? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the exact same position. Like, I, I, it is, so it is, in, it, like, if, if you are the person who says this coin tanked minus 99% and uh, they stole $400 million, that is a fundamentally better story for you than it has tanked 99% and they got away with $40,000. Well, I will say that, that that stat, that number comes from Crypto Whale, which is a very big crypto Twitter account that is, they say they're an unbiased contrarian investor, but like, for the most part, like, they're fairly pro crypto. Yeah, maybe. 
Although I will say, like, any but sort maybe, of negative... But if, if, they're, if, they're a, if they're, like, a traditional bit, uh, crypto maximalist, like Bitcoin, Ethereum... I was then... going to say, yeah. No, if they're a Bitcoin maximalist, that's obviously in their best interest to tell you all of the embarrassing stories coming from NFT land. Speaking of which, there's one you sent me this week that is fucking horrifying, and I'm very upset about it because I can't stop thinking about how horrible it would be if it actually caught on. This is the hotels? Yes, this is the hotels thing. Yeah, so this is uh, a report in the Wall Street Journal that hotels are starting to use nfts to make basically they convert reservations into nfts so if you buy your reservation you can't just cancel your reservation it will not show up or, or, or whatever it is you have to then resell your reservation to someone yes because it's nft which on the one hand has it makes sense like it's one of the the use cases we've spoken about nfts for which is you know tickets where there's like it it needs to be non-fungible because you can't have three people show up to go into a show which only has space for one person or, you know, you can't have six people turn up to the same hotel reservation. So from that perspective, having a non-fungible reservation kind of makes sense. Right. The downside of that is that it then means it's up to the customer to resell them, which is crazy. It's crazy. And, like, obviously this would turn into, like, an insane secondary market for popular tourist destinations. So, I mean, good luck ever going to Disney World again, if that can't <laughs> You know, uh, Tulum, Mexico would sell out an entire season's worth of NFT hotel reservations or Cancun for spring break. And then you would basically have to pay insane fees to well, try to go to a hotel. It, it, it's worse than that. Because, okay, so let's say you've got a thousand hotel rooms all going for a thousand dollars or whatever. If those NFTs and those people think that they're going to be worth more than that, like, in the future, like what hotels will do is they will initially, you know, they'll they'll start their prices at hundred dollars, so they sell up a part of the hotel, and it'll go up, so they can they're making sure they're trying to get you know ninety five percent occupancy. With right. this, they don't need to worry about it because they get the money, and they know the the, the investor goes, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a hundred hotel rooms in Tulum, Mexico, and then when it gets to to close to the season, I could sell two of them for $100,000 or $10,000 because people really want to go there. I'll make my money back. I don't need to sell the rest of them. Right. So so what you could actually end up with is hotels with a much smaller number of guests. Like, And I think this would be likely, not just possible. I think this would be likely. You end up with hotels with a much smaller number of guests, people scalping hotel reservations yeah. and cities. All the industries around it, all the bars, all the restaurants, all the beaches and stuff are going to be like half empty. Because all the people haven't come because they can't afford to pay the extortionate prices that the NFT scammers are trying to scalp them for. So you're saying this is a really good way of actually dealing with COVID is like we just we just do we in mandatorily enforce uh, half full vacation spots until the pandemic's over by by scalping NFT reservations. I mean, I'm in the UK. The pandemic is over. Just just, just so you know. <laughs> oh, that's right. You guys are you guys are all done, right? We're done with it. Yeah, yeah. I do think it's really interesting that. Like everything with crypto eventually just turns you into a landlord of something. And in this yeah. case, you basically could become a hotel room landlord, which is yeah. crazy. Like it's a crazy it's a crazy idea because like it, it, it's like the Airbnbification of public space or not it's like the Airbnbification of, of, of a hotel. It's of turning a hotel spaces. into yeah, yeah. an Airbnb. Yeah, your Airbnb being the rooms inside of a hotel. So, and you know, one thing that I think is not talked about a lot, and probably the the, the technological feature about NFTs that is probably the most interesting, and like the one that obviously like NFT critics don't bring up because like it is kind of interesting, which is the the royalty system, which is pretty good. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, essentially you can in most NFT marketplaces you can set what the royalty is for your NFT as it gets sold in secondary and third markets. So you know you 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 make a board ape and you set the royalty for twenty percent or whatever it is. Every time that gets sold down the line, you're making 20% in the royalties. And most marketplaces uh, have smart contracts that allow that, which is pretty good. So for a hotel to be like, yeah, we're going to totally turn all our rooms into NFTs. You can buy all of them at once if you want, and then you can sell them. We're still going to make our initial money and then a 20% royalty fee every time they're sold down the line, which is totally crazy. Yeah, it's awful. It's, it's true. It also means it would also allow... Hotel chains, which are, you know, I'm I'm a huge I, I travel a lot, so I'm a, I'm obviously obsessed with like the insane world of credit card points, airline miles, and like hotel credit card shit. I'm, yeah. I'm fascinated by it. 
And it's so labyrinthian and crazy. In an NFT hotel setup, you could totally have a situation where like the parent company of a hotel chain buys all of its own rooms from itself to hype up prices and then sells them on a secondary market. Right, sure, because you can see what everything's sold for. So you would right. theoretically get rid of that situation where, you know, you're in a hotel and like you bought it for $150 and someone else bought it for $100 and someone else bought it for $300 and you're completely di- you're all in the same essentially the same well three different identical rooms whereas in this situation you'd be able to see exactly what it was going for so like, you'd, oh, like like Marriott could take a Bonvoy hotel and they could put all of the rooms up as NFTs and then a credit card company that they have a partnership with like Mastercard or whatever could come in and buy all of those rooms and then sell them on the secondary market as like a special thing for their members. But then they could be purchased by like an airline miles program to hype up the price even more. So th- there's like a total world where you're buying like a, th- a three layer deep NFT through some bizarre rewards point system to hype up the price. I mean, it would also mean that you would then if you're trying to stay in this hotel, you'd say, okay, everyone here has bought these hotel rooms for $600. It must be a $600 hotel room. When actually it could just be a $100 hotel room and you're paying an extortion amount because you can see what everyone else is. No, so here's another question. Does that mean, so does that mean that in this situation, the hotel doing the NFTs would have to mint a new line of NFTs every time you checked out or would I, or could I just like squat in the hotel room until you made me sell the NFT to somebody? Uh, that's a great question. I would you have to burn know. the NFTs? Because like, how would that, like, how would you, <laughs> how would you enforce that? What's crazy is that like, there's a temporary nature to being in a hotel, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. which is not well, no, supported I, I, by well, NFTs. Well, well, hold on, hold on, though, because you're not you're not buying the room for a period. You're saying you know, you're NF, you've bought an NFT for like the night of the first, the second, and the third. So once you get to two o'clock on the third, your NFT is like you can have it, but your your right to the room has gone because you only your NFT only represented that period of time. So they're gonna they're gonna make an NFT that represents every day and every room possible in this hotel, and then those NFTs are gonna have a timer that like ends at like two p.m. or something. Well, they don't. But you don't have to burn them because it's just like okay, you owned it, but it was in the past. It's like, useless. Like, it would be like have an NFT for a concert ticket. You don't need to burn the ticket. The concert's happened, so you're done. But with the NFT, the room continues to exist. So you'd have, yeah, you'd have to make the NFT only represent a yeah, specific the, day. Yeah, the room continues to move forward in time. Of course, the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware the, of this. The yes. NFT at this point splits into Earth six one six. Yeah, right. Then Earth eight three eight. Yeah. 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 Wow, that is like, but that's like an incredibly dumb and also very expensive system for the hotels because there are gas fees that are sometimes hundreds of dollars depending on what the gas <laughs> fee market is. So, like Marriott burning hundred dollar Ethereum gas fees to generate unique NFTs for every day for every room is fucking crazy. <laughs> Imagine that. Like, there's a there's Marriott and Tulum, Mexico, and it, it calls because like, hey, so we released all of our, uh, 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 you know, reservations for the summer season. Uh, we spent almost $10 million. Uh, yeah. We're, hoping, it would we're also, hoping that we'll make it back. Also, like, to, to NFTify every day of every room for, like, a large chain hotel would cause so much stress on the network that it would cause all of the, like, the gas fees everywhere to go up. It would be a, it would be a nightmare. It would be it would be like when um, Bored Apes a couple weeks ago tried to release their weird de- uh, deeds to their like metaverse thing, and yeah. they released so many at once and burned so many at once that it caused like a huge drain on the Ethereum network and made everyone's prices skyrocket. Yeah, so it, 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 I think I think I think everyone in this story goes bankrupt. Oh well, I love that. I love yeah. I love a good cell phone. That's great. Um, super stupid, crazy nonsense. Uh, excited to see how it's implemented in the dumbest, most uh, abusive way possible for people just trying to go on vacation, which is obviously what's going to happen. Speaking of the dumbest possible outcomes... Seth Green? Oh, okay. You want to talk about Seth Green before we move to the big topic? I mean, I feel like we'd skim past Seth Green, who had his developed an entire show based on the copyright of a board ape that he owned, then got hacked and lost the board ape, and therefore the copyright to the show he developed. Well, 
it, it is it is maybe. okay maybe i've been reading about this and we we've done a whole episode if not multiple episodes trying to unpack like the copyright of an nft with board apes it's a little tricky if there was actual theft it's unclear how the copyright would work although like the most recent interviews i've seen the people who now own the ape say that like they're not going to give it back but i do think it did produce one of the funnier tweets of the crypto era have you read the tweet what is the tweet i'll read it here so seth green tweeted looking forward to precedent setting debates on ip ownership and exploitation having spent 18 years studying copyright and the industry laws i'd rather meet dark <laughs> Darkwing84 to make a deal versus in court. We can prove the promise of ape community. That's it would be good to to prove the promise of ape community. Yeah, I I, I hope that Seth Green and and Twitter user Darkwing84 can find a compromise here. I mean, I think they have very much proved the promise of ape community. Yeah, apes will steal from you. That's what that, yeah. your apes will get stolen. That is the 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 evergreen uh, takeaway here. I mean, the thing is, though, there's also this kind of like stolen thing, which I think is really interesting in the NFT space, because he basically it implies a lot of the reporting on it implies it was fished, which suggests that he he did something to let it out of his wallet. Yeah, no, he did something really stupid. Yeah, someone sent him an email or whatever, and he went into the email and it said, hey, click here to not sell your NFTs. And he was like, that seems legit. Clicked the thing and it stole his NFTs. Yeah. So, so, I mean, and, and that doesn't really mean they were stolen. It means that he gave them to them. Yeah, exactly. By accident, but he By gave accident. them to them. Right. And that's the trickier part about um, all NFT scams is that proving oh, – turns out the thing that <laughs> – turns out it's very easy to uh, take, take the thing that proves ownership and it's very hard to prove that it was stolen, which is an incredible irony about this entire technology. Yeah, it essentially implies that like if – it's technology that works on the basis that if you had, if you saw the deed to someone's house and you picked it up, you would then own that house. Right. Or if like they dropped it out of their pocket and you just took it. And you picked it up and you're like, oh, I own your house now. It's like, that's yeah. not how it works. Right. But apparently in this circumstance, it sort of seems like it does. Well, the difference would be that there are uh, large institutions that have existed for hundreds of years to enforce the ownership of deeds of property. Whereas monkey JPEGs are <laughs> not enforced by anything. Well, they're so. enforced by the ape community. And they're enforced by certain marketplaces that will try to help you get your NFT back if it gets stolen. But everyone involved with this loves the fact that there's no institutions involved. Well, that means I can take your apes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and realize the promise of the ape community. Uh, Got to realize the promise of the ape community. All right. Awesome. Okay. We are halfway through halfway th through the episode. Like, we should probably get to our main topic. It's time to talk about the thing that, like, I think we've been putting off talking about we've for been a couple weeks now. It. But it's time to talk about it. So let's move to the big topic of the week, and let's talk about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. Okay, so before we launch into this, I want to set up a few just basic facts because I think that in a lot of the discourse about this trial, it has been very easy to forget what the trial is actually about. The trial centers around a 2018 Washington Post op-ed that was written by Amber Heard in which she identifies as a domestic abuse victim. She does not name Johnny Depp, but Johnny Depp's lawyers and his legal team have claimed that just the mention of her being a domestic abuse victim was enough for people to connect it with Johnny Depp and cost him money and reputation. And he is suing her for defamation. And this is not the only, this is not the only trial. In fact, there's another trial that will start immediately after this one, just in case you haven't had your fill yet. But this trial, the, the one that's currently happening has been producing a really bizarre effect on the internet. So to start Luke, when did you start to notice the content about this trial? Well, I think I think the moment that we started to notice it was obviously we were, we were aware it was happening as a kind of a, a news outlet, uh, and then we started to notice the 
kind of search traffic source. We tr- use a bunch of different things to track, like, hey, what are people searching for? What are people sharing? What, what are all these things happening? So you can kind of figure out, like, hey, what do you need to cover? And this was just immediately like, oh, a lot of people are interested in this, which you know, often happens at the start of a trial. It happened at the start of the, um, the Wagatha Christie trial. Uh, everyone's like, well, what's happening? And then it kind of like after a day or two, everyone kind of got bored of it, like, because it happens with trials. It turns out they're really long and boring and actually being like a juror or something sucks because you spend an awful lot of time listening to people make deeply technical arguments and eventually just like, oh, this, this is extremely tedious. I just, I'm actually here doing a, a chore, not a, a fun, exciting legal drama. Right. That's kind of the typical way that a trial works. Then, you know, you get towards the verdict and then a bit of spike of interest again. And then everyone goes, oh, interesting, and then moves on. And this has been totally different because this interest is just like it started and then it, just, it never sunk away. It never stopped. It, it kept going and going and going. And I think like the main in reasoning behind that was because so much of it has been live streamed. And, te- and televised. Uh, yeah, it's and on, televised. It, it, like, so Law and Crime is it the YouTube Twitch channel that is streaming the bulk of it. And it is also, I discovered recently, a cable channel. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. just on cable all day. Yeah, exactly. So that, I think, has been a huge part of it. The fact that it's been watchable is a huge thing. And it's watchable like globally as well. It's not in America. It's not just in Virginia, where I think where the actual trial actually is. It's been watchable in, across the entire planet. And it involves two very famous people with allegations that range from the the very disturbing to the bizarre i guess there's some of the odd stuff in there yeah i mean i do want to say before we get to the internet bits that america has a very long tradition of proxy trials essentially like using a trial to symbolize all of the 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 discourse of all of the vibe of the country obviously the 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 biggest most recent one would be the oj simpson trial but you know, it, it, I'm it, from, it, it goes back to Leopold and Loeb. It goes back to to. I'm from Massachusetts. It goes back to the Salem witch trials, as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah. like we, like Americans love to hash out a, a giant national debate on kind of a small localized event. It's part of our national DNA, and because of the size of our country, I think it's probably the way that we deal with a lot of things in the discourse. And I think it is very likely that that this trial is really serving for a lot of Americans as the Me Too movement on trial, in a way. Um, it, it is sort of the the powerful man, the the woman who is claiming that she has suffered abuse or harassment, uh, you know, the abuse of power, being exploited. Like, these things are all part of this trial, even though that this trial is, like, not really about that stuff. It has become about that stuff. And I think that's a large part of why it's caught on as well. But it is having a really strange effect on how people are using the internet in particular. Yeah, and I think, I mean, for, for, for my end, it's been very odd to watch and cover it because this is a second trial in this, apparently a trilogy, which we're going to get. Um, yeah. Because the first trial was in the UK. Um, and, you know, it's a defamation trial in the UK. It's not, it's not the hardest thing to win because our libel laws are relatively restrictive. A newspaper group was required to prove that its description of Johnny Depp as a wife beater was accurate, and it was found that was the case in, I think it was 11 of 14 counts, so it was enough to be like, yep, this is fine. So that, this, this, these allegations have kind of already been tried once, which is so it's very odd to then see them being tried again, and we're just doing the same thing again, but this time it's televised. And if you're not familiar with the difference between UK defamation and US defamation, they're they're different. And the fundamental difference is that defamation in the UK is something that you have to prove didn't happen. So like if 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 um if Luke accuses me of defamation, I have to prove I didn't defame him. Where in the US it's the reverse, which is that if Luke sues me for defamation, he has to prove I defamed him. Yeah. And it's uh in the UK it's a much more uphill battle. In fact, in journalism school, we had to take a whole class about what's called libel tourism. Where if and with the internet, it's become much easier to do this because things can be read anywhere on earth now. So you had to be very careful, and you know you're still taught this. You have to be very careful about writing about British people because those motherfuckers can sue you from England and they're gonna win. Although there's a country that's like much worse for libel, which is South Korea, which I learned recently because I was doing a whole story about K-pop harassment. De- defamation in Korea is criminal. Ouch. And that is like that's a much scarier thing. 
and then the other weird one, uh, which is a similar kind of thing, which is in Japan where libel is tied together with like, um, with like photo rights and you own your copyright if you're in a photograph and they're like, there's a whole bunch of regulations around like how a photograph can be used to portray events, which is why they do press conferences. Cause you can't, you can't use a photo of someone in a story about an unrelated matter that they're involved with. If the photo is not in, like part of that, cause it could be defamatory. Yeah. Uh, every it's a whole bunch a, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has a different selection of laws and they all seem kind of mad from various angles different angles yes uh the american one though is the much easier one to to sort of push back against for the most part so the fact that he is suing her for defamation in the u.s after already kind of losing in the uk should speak volumes is what i is the is the uh the argument i'm trying to make here yeah exactly but yeah it's 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 uh, i've actually just discovered during this that it is also being streamed by uh, sky in the uk which I did not realize. Which is kind of like your closest equivalent to CNN, sort of. Other than CNN, which you also have. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's British CNN, but it's obviously owned by Rupert Murdoch, which means it's 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 reliable. Oh, right, of course. The good Murdoch uh, non-polarizing news channel. So what, what, what we sort of touched on in the very beginning here was that, like, it's being live-streamed, which is allowing it to become content very easily. And the first place that I noticed it uh, was Reddit, which I was kind of shocked by because... I don't use the main page of Reddit. I have a personal Reddit that I've spent most of the pandemic curating. Uh, at this point, it's largely just, uh, you know, subreddits for documenting various, like, relationship drama, because I really like reading that in the mornings to get energized for the day. But I started to notice, like, Johnny Depp content coming in, and it, it was upload, it was re-uploads of TikToks of moments from the trial with, like, the Wii store music underneath them have you seen yeah. these yeah well it's the, i mean i've seen a lot of the fan cams is those those are the ones you mean same idea it's like johnny depp's most adorable moments of thinking that amber heard's a crazy bitch you know yeah uh, that's like a, a sample title i do not agree with that i want to be very clear. Jo- johnny depp it's a, there's a lot of like yeah johnny depp's funniest moments all that sort yeah of stuff. like the one that went viral this week was like amber heard brought like a psychologist up on the stand and he admittedly did like a really weird thing with his mouth for a while where he made like horrible mouth sounds for a while and like they people like made a, a like a a cut of just the weird mouth sounds and then they would cut to like Johnny Depp who's obviously now like aware that this content economy exists so he's like yeah he's like doing that thing that was like really popular in like 2017 where like liberal journalists would go on like cable news and like smirk at the camera so they could screenshot it and share it on their own Twitter accounts. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so like Johnny Depp is now doing that in the trial with his like legal team. And it's like absolutely disgusting because like tip, like in the unedited version, they're go they're, they're, they're litigating like horrific instances of abuse. Of alleged abuse. In, in, in the actual trial, they're, they're litigating like, horrific instances of alleged abuse and he's like making like the dreamworks face at the camera you know he's like doing like the b movie smirk it's fucking psychotic as far as i'm concerned and then these people on on tiktok and then subsequently these people on reddit are just spreading this stuff and i think the big question is just like where are these people coming from like what is this why why is this happening i mean there's always been obviously disagreement between the two sets of fan armies, unsurprisingly. And Amber, you mean the fan armies for Amber Heard and Johnny Depp? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think part of that is just, you know, people have stands, celebrities have stands, and then those stands end up being locked in, in, in a fight with each other over whatever happens. And it doesn't matter if one person is clearly wrong or one person is clearly right. Like, it, it, they're going to get locked in, in, in. But also, like, you're kind of like, I don't know, it's Johnny Depp. Who's a Johnny Depp stand in fucking 2022? You wouldn't think anyone. Who's Weirdo. an Amber stand? Weirdos, that's who. Yeah, but each of them are kind of like, this is a small number of people. It's not like it's BTS in a defamation match with Billie Eilish, which would be interesting. That would be feel like it would have volume to it. This one... Not so much. Like that, that would be interesting, actually. But apparently, it, it, it's not necessarily about that. And an awful lot of people have kind of gone into this, viewed it as entertainment because the structural distance of the whole thing means they consume it on the same platforms they consume their entertainment on, they consume their a bunch of other things on, and have basically picked a side and have found it 
a hell of a lot easier to pick Johnny Depp's side than they have Amber Heard's, which I think is maybe the most important thing about it. I mean, I, w- I will say, like, it's gotten to a point where on the way to get to my train, which, you know, where the tracks were on fire this morning. Yeah. The radio, the morning radio show was doing, like, the craziest moments from the Depp Heard trial, which was horrible to listen to because it's it's not fun it's not funny i don't find it funny at all but they're like doing like wacky music and like you know dj you know dj hound dog in the dog pound or like talking about the crazy moments from the trial because it yeah it's like being used as entertainment it's 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 bizarre yeah it's, it's incredibly strange and as a result but obviously it's the sort of thing that kind of begets more it is the content's constantly being produced there's going to be a winner and a loser, or, I mean, you know, it's legal, so it's always a little bit like, you know, 80-20, regardless of how it ends up. But it means, that, yeah, people can take sides, people can get engaged with it, and as a result, you know, if you're a, let's say, a BTS stan, you make a bunch of content uh, reading their body language and how they've looked at each other weirdly, and therefore they're in a, a, a gay relationship, or how they have looked into the crowd, and that actually means that they secretly want to be an astronaut or whatever the fuck they, they, all these like, mad theories because like it's body language but ultimately like it's not great for like the people in the group's mental health and I would argue it's not great for some of the fans mental health but it's ultimately sort of harmless in terms of like oh I see yeah it's kind of it's almost a fanfic thing and they're applying fanfic to real people which like okay fine not great but fine then they are applying essentially the same techniques to Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. So there's a huge amount of stuff, which is kind of like Amber Heard like looked confused at this moment. That's because right. she was lying about this thing. Uh, she at this moment she kind of corrected herself because she stumbled over her words, and therefore that means that this thing was fake that she said the other day. This body language is she's defensive here. That means that uh, this bit's true or whatever like nonsense is coming up with. But it's it is doing that kind of fanficy body language we're going to slow this down capture half a frame of an expression and say this tells us something i'm really glad you actually went there with this because we talked about this during some of the tiktok witch hunt stuff we did last year but you know we had this this rule that we came up with which is that people need to stop looking at images so much because it's poisoning their brains and i think that like with this trial in particular there's it's a great example of this fallacy online where you're given more images, more video, more footage, more material of an event than has ever been possible in human history before. And I think there's this instinct when that happens to say like, oh, great, all of the answers can be are contained within. The Gabby Petito disappearance, there's a video that the, the police have uh, uh, of, of them being pulled over. All of the answers to where this girl is must be in this video because why would we have so much video if it wasn't important? Why would we have uh, so much social content from her Instagrams if we couldn't find out what was going on? Same idea with Couch Guy, same idea with West Elm Caleb, same idea with the Depp Heard trial, This uh, same idea with True, True Crime Podcast, where it's like, well, we must be able to solve the murder by the end of the podcast, because why would the podcast exist if we couldn't? Yeah, exactly. I mean, do you think that this is the first real-world example of the TikTok witch hunt effect, or rather the TikTok witch hunt effect applying to a ongoing real-life event. I think it's like the, the missing link we've been looking for that connects the TikTok witch hunt effect to earlier internet phenomena like real people fiction, which is what you're talking about, like the One Direction uh, shipping truthers who are looking for hand movements that could prove that Harry and Liam were a couple or whatever. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, Zary, I think was the one. Zane and Harry was another one. Larry, Zary, yeah. yeah. So that happened. And then we we, we never really had a connection between that stuff and the weird true crime boom that was happening on TikTok. But I think with this trial, we, we can actually see exactly how these are all the same thing, which is that you're looking for answers in viral ephemera to prove like your weird fan theory and in this case, it is literally about the the an, a wildly toxic and allegedly abusive marriage, which is making it re- it's a it's structural dissonance to to quote ourselves again, like <laughs> it, it is it is the ultimate structurally dissonant event that I've ever lived through. I think because 
it's horrible and and yet people are making memes and jokes about it yeah and it's also something that people have had such different differing experiences of that i have zero doubt that there are a bunch of people out there who don't who are going to look the trial could still go either way there is a very good chance that amber heard wins this trial and a bunch of people are going to be stunned by that because they will not understand how there could be another argument is because a bunch of people who are not kind of the super dedicated i'm watching everything on this are just getting one side of it casually you know they're seeing every 11th tiktok they're going past is someone being like here's why amber heard's a liar and they're like i'm sure she is i don't really care i'm just going to skim past it but they're not going out to read other stuff about it so all they're getting is kind of this the weird offshoots of this viral mass so a bunch of people are just like oh obviously she's a liar we know that and it's it's Clearly not proven. Uh, no, I think so. I, I've spent a lot of time reading some of these Reddit threads because I find it fascinating, like how, why these people care so much, and there is just a fundamental not understanding of what's going on happening in these threads. Yeah. Like these users are talking about this trial as if it's a criminal trial for Johnny Depp, and that that it is a it is a quest to clear his name. And that, and they don't even seem to understand like what the trial is even about or why it's happening. Other than Johnny Depp has to clear his name, and and we are we are going to help him by looking for every bit of evidence we can to prove that there was no abuse in this relationship. And you know, as we said at the top of the show, like proving defamation in America is extremely hard, and proving defamation in America after you've already been unable to do it in the UK, which is a much harder environment to do that in, is probably like. It's not going to happen. Like, she's probably going to win. Or it definitely won't be the slam dunk victory that I think everyone's salivating over. And it, it's going to, it's going to, I mean, there's a very good chance it creates like a QAnon like movement. It's a, it's a very good chance that it creates like a, like a, like a Gamergate, Kotaku in action kind of thing, which is going to last for a long time. Like, there's a very good chance that this like spirals out of control into an internet movement that doesn't go away at this point. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, there's, a very good chance of that. I think that that almost definitely means that uh, Johnny Depp will get some sort of deal from some sort of outlet to make the next thing that he wants to make because he has some, for some reason, this new army of fans that never existed before and um, who will buy everything he touches now. And yeah, it's hard to see how it doesn't keep going. Well, I, I wanted to, do, to, to try to build a, a framework, a map for who these people are. Because they're not all the same, but yeah, I do this think... is the thing. This is the thing that's really caught me by surprise, and I think links it to QAnon quite a lot. In that it is not people who are, it is not the natural people you'd think it would be. Like no. this, fe- this feels like it should be men's rights activists, the kind of rump of that manosphere, the four chan, eight coon, all that lot of stuff. And I, it's not at all. No, they're they're definitely like involved but they're not yeah. the meat of it so from my te- from my uh, anthropological standpoint from what i can see a large chunk of it are snyder cut guys who don't like amber heard because they were terrified that the divorce between johnny depp and amber heard would get in the way of them seeing their superhero movie they wanted to see so there's a lot of dc guys in fact a lot of the dc subreddits i follow have just turned into johnny depp amber heard trial subreddits at this point <sighs> Which is crazy. Yeah. There are a lot of Disney adults involved. I think that's a huge portion of them. Like, there's a bunch of people who were about 11, I think that's about the right year. It came out like 2000, 2003, around then. Yeah. And they are now in their 30s. It's a couple younger, a couple older, like, but that kind of like massive people, actually kind of basically our age. Like, Yeah, people in their like early to mid 30s who really love Pirates of the Caribbean and Johnny Depp and like miss him which is insane. Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 they they're going to overlap with the people who are super into Harry Potter. They're going to overlap with the people who are super into um Disney movies, but that skews slightly younger, but it's certainly like kind of like millennial age. And I think basically this is kind of millennial QAnon as a result because there's a bunch of people who said this is the thing that I know, this is the thing that I'm into, this is the thing that I remember and being nice and I'm just going to stick with it. Whereas I think there's some also younger people in the Snyder Cut people are actually arguably slightly younger, I feel like. But yeah, no, this is, this. it's, it, yeah, it's millennial QAnon. It's the final revenge of, of, of BuzzFeed quizzes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, there's, it, it is like the, the, the chuggy millennial come to life. 
Yeah. But I think there's also a, a, an interesting twist here with the, the Harry Potter stuff because so Johnny Depp was recast in uh, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them or whatever it's called. Yeah. And that really angered Harry Potter adults who are similar to Disney adults. And there's probably but a lot it, of... It angered a subset of Harry Potter adults because obviously an awful lot of Harry Potter adults now will not touch Harry Potter for reasons pertaining to the author. So that's where I was headed because now because of J.K. Rowling, there's a lot of turfs that are pro Johnny Depp because they want to support J.K. Rowling. Oh, that's interesting. So there's like a whole wave of like really bad turfs who are now like uh, anti Amber Heard, which you know just goes to show you exactly how feminist the turf movement is, which is to say it's not. And so like this blob of like Disney adults, Snyder Cut fans who are kind of gamergatey anyways, and like like Harry Potter weirdos and like turfs. And like then your men's rights people in the middle there. That seems to be what the setup is, as far as I can see. I mean, what we really need, right? Because I agree with all of that. What we really need is the meetup where all these groups get together and they suddenly realize they don't have anything in common. Because I've mentioned this event before, but the the rally for free speech that happened in London, where it was like a third football hooligans, a third like extremely young internet nerds who are carrying pepes everywhere and a third like right-wing tories and they were all in the same space and they all sort of looked at each other and went oh uh this is not the movement i thought it was i thought it was my movement it is not it's not i'm a, a minority and they all need to meet up and realize oh we all hate each other no see th- that works in the uk because of class that doesn't work in the u.s because it becomes the insurrection right okay you know, we don't have cool. see the if you had that see the the breakdown in the in the right wing British movement is because the Tories and the soccer hooligans don't really get along, and then the nerds they they, re, they everybody hates each other. Yeah, in the U.S., I think the Disney adults, the Harry Potter adults, they're obviously you know the women who are married to Snyder Cut guys. Interesting. You know, it's like the Funko Pop millennials who are all kind of like weirdly conservative uh, now because they right, don't. But but there are a bunch of. I, there's a bunch of like uh, right wing ex manosphere guys in there as well. Yeah, and they all have you know. I mean, we're we're we're, we're talking about like you know the cop and nurses couples from suburb like suburban towns. We're ta- like yeah, it, it's pretty similar to QAnon, but in this case, it's like um, you know, it's like the the dude who collects Funko Pops and the the white lady who goes to Disney World with her only vacation time. Yeah, oh no, that's who we're talking. Oh, yeah, no, I can see this actually. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This is it. This is millennial QAnon. It God, is. Gen, Gen Z QAnon is going to be great fun. Oh, I mean, Gen Z Q, Gen Z has been in a QAnon since the minute they were online. Like those people, <laughs> they make a new cult to join all of the time. So, uh, yeah. If anything, I feel like they might get burned out on the magical thinking that's required to join a cult by the time they're old enough for it to matter. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. So we kind of touched on it, but I want to circle back to end this, which is where do you think this is going? Yeah. I mean. If there is another trial after this, which I'll be honest, I was unaware of, then I think that's bad because I can only see it carrying on. I think that there's going to be an awful lot of like dead enders. I think that it is going to become financially, that Johnny Depp is going to be financially incentivized to try and find a way to carry it on. I think that Johnny Depp is going to run out of legal avenues to pursue. I think Johnny Depp is going to realize that he has to stand for Congress. I think Johnny Depp will be president of the United States. Uh, yes, of course. Well, that's usually how this goes, right? Yeah. So here's here's some really upsetting details from uh, New York Mag's The Cut. Which, once again, New York Mag was one of the, na- the one of the New York based publications that did not promote the content mines this week, and we will not forget that. No. So uh, The Cut writes: One Johnny Depp fan said she took a whole year's vacation time from work and spent an estimated thirty thousand dollars on travel expenses in order to attend the trial. Jesus. And another fan says she put most of her belongings in storage and flew her from the UK. Good, good. More British people getting involved. God. Uh, and another fan says she spent $2,200 on new outfits to wear during the trial. And then another fan brought two alpacas to the courthouse and was quoted as saying that she did that because she hoped that Johnny Depp would see the alpacas and have a, a a a better day. She wanted to brighten his day with the alpacas. Wow, this is just craziness. It's craziness. Yeah, but it is yeah, exactly. It is, it is 
believing a thing about a guy that is it's 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 fan fiction it is fan fiction and like you know if if we're right this is that this is the millennial the millennial QAnon, like these people are like the age where they were reading my immortal on archive of our own as teenagers like this is our age group who are doing this <laughs> this is and and you know yeah. it's like the like this is like the the mean the mean girls of Tumblr who are now married to gamer gators and they're all like at a trial for Johnny Depp. It's nuts. It's like, and I, yeah, I, I don't think it'll, I don't think it can go away because I, you know, we talk about viral energy and escape velocity and all this, I, all these ideas about like how to codify, like how viral something is. And I feel like at a certain level, it can't go away because th there's too much energy there and there's nothing to make the energy go away. So it's like these people are going to get like stuck in a weird internet bubble and they're it's going to just ferment and 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 turn rancid or more rancid. Yeah, it needs to be like popped to kind of I don't know the right way it is. You pop it and then it and then it dissipates or it explodes. I mean, that's a good question. What's an example of something like this that has popped and exploded and gone away? I mean, I'm sure the Occupy Wall Street. I mean, we have always said that Occupy Wall Street is the is everything, yeah. No. It's everything, like it. It's everything, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, maybe this. Well, maybe this is it. Maybe it's either it explodes or it dissipates and infects everything for the next ten years. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's true. Yeah, I mean, in a way, Dashcon killed a thing. We've done. We've talked about that. Like Dashcon yes. did kill a thing. In fact. Uh, kind of going back to your idea of like the meetup as the thing that kills it. A lot of early internet communities were destroyed by publishing photos of their own meetups. And when they got to see how ugly and weird they all looked, they, they stopped using the website. That, that was a thing that happened a lot. <laughs> that, yeah. I think, I think physical 4chan meetups held back its radicalization for like 10 years because every time they would share a photo of a 4chan meetup, it was so embarrassing looking that like they couldn't organize properly. Yeah, that's exactly it. I, I'm that's my theory, but unfortunately, with this, there's a celebrity involved. So the the meetup, the trial, has star power to it. So there's really no there's no way it, it breaks apart, which is uh, unfortunate. I mean, I do think it's bad for any future Me Too moments. I think so too, and also this will have a, a pretty tremendous chilling effect on abuse victims coming forward. I mean, yep. it's it it is really hard not to watch this and think like, oh yeah, this is this is a reactionary movement against the last four to five years of progress with the Me Too movement. And it's it's now just like turning really dark and weird and dumb. And I don't have a light note to end on it, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's just, it's it's really, it's really depressing to think that all of those men who were canceled during that period might, you know, continue to work normally, uh, might remain in the public eye. Uh, I, I don't know what that would look like because it's it's very different to the world we have now. It's it, it's a it's a it's a crazy parallel universe to imagine. Um, but you know who knows if if who knows what happens when this trial's over. It has definitely changed my opinion of the Wii Store music. I really liked that song, <laughs> and now I don't like that song anymore because I associate it with Johnny Depp doing the DreamWorks face. Fair, fair. <laughs> hey Luke, have you consumed any content this week that isn't? Uh, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got one I want to talk about. I don't know if you're ready to talk about it, though, which is uh, everything everywhere all at once. I have not seen it. Okay. But if you can talk about it without spoiling any of it for me, because I really do want to see it, we can talk about it. It, it. it involves a multiverse. Oh, 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 a multiverse. <laughs> I will spoil nothing that's not in the trailer. I can do that, I think. Okay, that's good. How about you? What content do you consume to stay sane? I want to talk about the Kids in the Hall reboot. Okay. Everyone keeps talking about this online, and I don't know what it is. I have not bothered to find out. It's phenomenal, and I'm very excited to share it with you. Thank you guys for supporting the show. If you want to hear me and Luke have those conversations about a movie I haven't seen yet and a TV show he's never heard of before, you can go over to thecontentminds.com. That's where we put our mini-sodes. Uh, there's one every week. You get it for subscribing. 
Thank you guys for those of you who do subscribe. It, it helps the show continue being the talk of the town. Um, and I want to thank Seven Morris for editing this week's episode. He's responsible for the lovely soundscapes that are hitting your ears right now. And head over to your podcast uh, app of choice and leave us a review as if you were trying to sell us on Monkeypox Inu, your fa- your new favorite crypto coin. You're trying to convince us to buy Monkeypox Inu. Even though it's already crashed, you think it's going to rally again, so you want to convince us to, to, to invest. Or as though you're from the New York Daily News reviewing our podcast. Yeah, one or the other. Those are the two options for this week. All right, let's, uh, let's head over to other podcast and uh, talk about more stuff. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.